Hi guys, welcome back. We are so excited to have with us a guest. We are gonna have Christy Anya Wheelay. And today we are gonna be chatting Bible study and finding yourself in scripture. Um, Christy is the perfect guest for this because she is the editor of His Testimonies, My Heritage, Women of Color on the Word of God. She is the Associate Director of Women's Workshops for the Charles Simon Trust and is a founding member of the Pelican Project. She has written contributions for Held, 31 Biblical Reflections on God's Comfort and Care in the Sorrow of Miscarriage, for the ESV Women's Devotional Bible, Word-Filled Women's Ministry, Loving and Serving the Church, Women on Life, A Call to Love the Unborn, Unloved, and Neglected, and Hospitality Matters, Reviving an Ancient Practice for Modern Missions. Her work can be found at The Front Porch, The Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, Christianity Today, and Revive Our Hearts. She is also a pastor's wife and has been married for almost 30 years. They also have three lovely children. Christy, we're so honored to welcome you today. Uh, Thank you. It's great to be here and well done on the name. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so I just thought maybe to kick us off. Um, We could talk a little bit about the uh, pressures you maybe have faced as a pastor's wife um, to perform in a certain kind of way or be a certain kind of wife or leader or mother. You know, I think oftentimes the pastor's wife can be such a tricky role to inhabit. So I wondered if you could just talk to us about fighting off those perceptions. That's a great question. And I think I have probably an unusual answer to the question because I don't actually face a whole lot of pressure (laughs) as a pastor's wife or or a leader. And I think that's because just from the beginning of my husband's ministry as a pastor, he has taken the initiative to make it very clear wherever we were serving that, you know, his job as a pastor is not a two for one. Like, you know, <laughs> you yes. know, it's not, yes, you're the pastor, but also let's throw in your, your wife as an added bonus. And he's just always made it very clear that my role and my priority was um, to care for my family and other things that the Lord places on my heart that I'm interested in. And it's not, and that he just made it really clear that the church should not expect anything extra from me besides just being a faithful member like everyone else in the church. And so I feel like that has actually freed me from having to face a lot of pressure because he's made it very clear very early on. And the cool thing is that every church we've been a part of has readily accepted that and really understood it and have sought to honor it. I mean, are there times when yeah, you know, people try to get to me to get to him, you know, they want to get to know me in order to get to him. Yes, that happens. But it's very few and far between. I think the church, the churches that we've been a part of have seen the blessing of having um, me flourish in the roles that the Lord has given me, and that that's more of a benefit to the church than someone assigning to me an expectation that they want me to fulfill that maybe is not my calling, you know? And so I've been really free to explore different things. I've done children's ministry and, you know, Bible study and those kinds of things. I don't play no piano and I don't sing, Um, (laughs) but, you know, I've been able to explore and to really figure out where my giftings are within the church. And I've been able to exercise those pretty freely. 
So to fight those perceptions, I guess I would just say, get your husband on your team (laughs) 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 to advocate for you and um, to really kind of as in as many ways as possible to um, let people to, to let people see and to know that you're just like them, that we're all sinners saved by grace. We're trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And the Lord does want to use us, but in the ways that he's calling us to, not in the ways that people kind of expect us to necessarily. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I love that. I love that you have that freedom and also that support. And so with that being said, it's a good segue into the next question, which is, you know, did you always want to be a writer? Like, And also what led you to become an author and a Bible study teacher? Of course, everyone knows how accomplished you are in your writing um, just from hearing your bio. So it's really, it would be really great to hear how you've navigated writing, also being a wife and, you know, mother and finding that passion. Yeah, I, no, have not always wanted to be a writer. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely was not on my radar at all, nor was it on my radar to be a Bible teacher at all. (laughs) I really just wanted to be a um, wife and a mom, raise my little kids, go on play dates with my friends (laughs) and their kids and, you know, spontaneous beach trips and those kinds of things. Like I love my home. I love my family. I love my children. I love to cook. I love hospitality. I really thrive in, um, in those areas in terms of like my heart is drawn to my family, Mm -hmm. to hospitality. So, um, that was not really on my radar, but you know, you, so you might've heard the adage that says, uh, some people love to write while others love to have written. Well, I'm in the latter category. (laughs) I do like to write and I've always had journals and things like that. I've toyed with poetry and different things over the years. Uh, but I like to write for myself, I would say, primarily in terms of, you know, I like to journal and those kinds of things. But writing for other people is a chore. It's a job. And <laughs> and so why do I do it? You might ask, like, what? why do you do that? And I think it's because I thought about this a lot. My goal is not to be a great writer, but my goal is to write things that are helpful for the church. And so I feel like the Lord is just giving me a gift of um, a desire to really walk alongside people. He's given me just a strong desire for discipleship and for helping people to grow in their understanding of God's word. And so in whatever way the Lord wants to use me for that end, I've always been open to. So in most cases, I would say 90% of the time, Um, The ways that the Lord has used me is in my discipling relationships with other women in my church and discipling my own children and in teaching small group Bible studies and those kinds of things in my local church. And so sometimes, though, the Lord calls me outside of those walls and um, there are ways that I'm like, man, I really have benefited from learning this thing and I would love for other people to know about it. And so sometimes the Lord gives me opportunities to share that with other people, either through writing or speaking or some other means. So I guess I say I'm open to what, however the Lord wants to use me to um, grow that passion I have for seeing people um, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to grow in Bible literacy uh, myself and helping other people grow in those ways and really bringing the Bible closer to the heart, like that we might 
love Christ more deeply and obey him more fully and joyfully, not just have Bible studies and intellectual exercise. So when I write, my goals are that, like I want people to have like a deeper love for Christ and a greater desire to obey him and to just joyfully spend time in his presence. And so it's a long winded answer to your question. I just don't, it, my goal is not to write. My goal is to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. And sometimes that means that I write things. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so right now I'm kind of in this space where I'm like, man, Lord, there are some things that I really would love for other people that I've learned and benefited from so much. What's the most efficient way for me to help other people <laughs> learn yeah. about this stuff too? And it just all happens to be writing in this, in this, and you know, kind of in this phase of my life. So, yeah, I really love that as someone who, yeah, has written publicly, but oftentimes finds writing a chore. I don't know, Faith, can you identify? She's working on her book now, where it yeah. does help me to think of like, what is my like end purpose of this as like a motivation? Because yeah, it is. It's like funny how people like. I've just been thinking about like this a lot, um, like aspire to, you know, write publicly or have certain platforms, but then the amount of work it takes to do that. I'm like, you know, I I think sometimes unless you have that external motivation, feeling like God has called me to this or I want to help people learn in some way. Personally, I don't know that I would ever complete anything (laughs) without that because I just don't, I'm the same way. I just don't enjoy it. I actually really like being edited, but I don't enjoy (laughs) it. Same. Exactly. (laughs) Like once I've written something and it's like, you know, like I just finished this manuscript and I'm like, why do people get so excited about a manuscript? Like who cares about the man? I mean, yes, the manuscript being finished is big, but the real work is the editing process and actually making what you've produced really good (laughs) better. So, um, so I'm like, yeah, the manuscript is finished. That's fine. That's part one. Now when the editing is done and the (laughs) words are just right and it's polished and ready to go, then I'm like, yes, I'm on board. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think it's okay. I, I don't think at first I've put a lot of pressure on myself to try to identify as a writer and, I don't know. It just never really sat well with me. But what fits well with me is teaching God's word. So if I, I'm probably, in other words, I'm probably more likely if someone said, well, you know, what do you do? I'm more likely going to say that I'm a Bible teacher than I would say that I'm a writer. Am I an author? Yes, because I publish stuff. (laughs) So it's out there. Like I, I have that is a part of my identity, but I don't have to wear tightly the label writer when really what I'm after is teaching and helping people understand God's word better. Like that's my heartbeat. And I feel very comfortable in that space. But when you say writer, I'm like, mm, is that me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So it's weird because I do write a lot, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Faith? You're, you're writing stuff. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I mean, I I think for me, I love writing. I've always been passionate about it since I was young and wanted to be a writer. But it is incredibly hard work. Like Mm -hmm. it is, it is a lot of mental energy, emotional energy. 
And I knew that it was work, but when I tell you writing a book and, you know, doing edits, I'm in the editing phase and getting the words just right, all of it, it's just, it takes work, time, motivation. And so having that external motivation, like y'all were talking about, that is definitely what keeps me going. But Mm -hmm. all I think to myself is this is not a walk in the park. This is like... I feel like I'm like running a marathon yeah. right now. <laughs> I know. And some people, it just comes intuitively to them. And I think that's fine. It's it's really fine for people where writing just comes so intuitively. It's easy. You can crank out a thousand words in an hour. More power to you. I think that's great. I just want to free people who feel like they have something to say, but they find it super hard and that mm-hmm. that's okay too, you know? And yeah. you can write without giving yourself a label of writer. You know, you can you can enjoy journaling and things like that for yourself without feeling like you need to share that anywhere outside of your the pages of your own journal. And yeah, I don't know. I just think we need a, a breadth of freedom <laughs> for people to be able to write and feel comfortable in the spaces that they write in without having to wear too tightly a label that, you know, it doesn't quite fit yet. I mean, maybe one day it will, and I'll be like, yeah, I'm a writer, and I can wear the hat, and it's real comfortable. <laughs> but right now, that's, you know, that's that's not where it is. <laughs> well, and I think what you're saying is, like, applicable even beyond just, like, the writing thing. I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but one of my really good friends we were having lunch. I distinctly remember this memory. And I thank God that he like has allowed me to hold on to it for this long. But it was like a few years ago and we were having lunch and I felt I was telling her, um, I felt like God had called me to something I felt like it was really difficult. So I was like, I don't think God called me to that or wouldn't it be this challenging. And she kind of looked at me over lunch and she was like, no, I don't think that's how it works. I think God calls us to sometimes to things that can be really challenging and that like not measuring whether or not God called us to it by the ease of which it comes or doesn't come. And I think to what you were saying, like, you know, got it maybe in some instances has called you to write publicly and for larger audiences than your local church um, and that it is difficult, but like that that doesn't mean any less that God has, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like maybe that will be helpful to someone who is either thinking about writing or in some other aspect of life, like, um, the ease of which it comes or doesn't come does not necessarily correlate with whether God has called you to it or God's purpose for your life. Sometimes he calls mm-hmm. you to very challenging things. <laughs> no, that's a good word. That is a good word. Like not everything that God calls us to is easy. Um, and oftentimes he does call us to things that are super hard, but in it, he's growing our faith and he's really growing our dependence upon him. And Mm -hmm. as someone who is somewhat of a kind of control person, um, (laughs) that's just a good discipline for me to be learning all the time is, yeah, that, you know, if if sometimes when things come too easily, we, we rely on our own strength. And Mm -hmm. uh, when things are a bit or more difficult, then we realize how much we need to be, um, you know, just moving and acting independence upon the Lord and uh, the work of his spirit. 
Yes. Uh, yes. So good. I love this conversation. Okay. So I want to talk um, a little bit about, I think maybe, uh, it's probably been a while, but it was one of my like more viral tweets not to get onto Twitter. But I um, have led Bible studies and one of the groups I led asked for a Bible study led by Black women. So I like put it out on Twitter. And at the time, there just didn't seem like there was a ton of huge you know, easily accessible works by Black women. And I think you were one of the people that responded um, to that that tweet. And I just wanted to ask you, now that I have you face-to-face, why do you think it's important for Black women to write Bible studies? And maybe if you could share with us, who are some of your favorite teachers? Yeah. So I think it's important for Black women to write in any field, of course, <laughs> so that our, our voices are heard and our experiences are, are valued within the space you know, that in which we're writing. Um, And I think too often women of color have opted to write out of a foreign narrative. And so because we want to appeal to a broad audience. And so I think we've been tempted either within ourselves or we've maybe even been encouraged by publishers and uh, by organizations that we write for to write for a particular audience and therefore writing in a voice that is familiar to them. And I think too often that women of color have opted to do that. And you know what, if you're writing fiction or if you're writing dystopian or fantasy or something, (laughs) fine. And you're trying to, to capture or create a world that you've never actually lived, then go for it, that's fine. But in Christian spaces, I find that women of color are often encouraged to write with the majority culture in view. And sometimes that stifles our own experiences and and it hinders others from learning from us. And so I think it's important for black women to write Bible studies or anything else within your own voice, cultural background and experiences. And guess what? People are just gonna have to catch up. Just like (laughs) we do when we read books by people who are not like us. I mean, I love books and I read all kinds of books by all kinds of people. And I don't readily identify with everything written in those books, but that's just part of the learning process. I'm learning about other cultures and other people's experiences and their background and I'm growing from their knowledge. And I think that that's the importance of black women writing as well is that people need to hear of our experiences and our background, our culture, how our culture works, the ways that we communicate with one another and those kinds of things. And so in that in that vein, I think one person who really freed me to write in that way boldly is uh, my sister Kim Cash Tate. I'm not sure if you if you all um, y'all should have her on your show. But <laughs> Kim Cash Tate is a lot of things. She is um, a writer. She's an author. She writes in the Christian fiction genre. And so she's written a series of books that feature African-American Christians um, navigating issues of, of, of faith and culture. And she does it in such a beautiful way. When I read her books, it's like I'm reading about my own family. This, the the storylines that she builds, the situations that the characters find themselves in could be situations in 
my family, my own family or my own friendship networks, my own Christian circles and those kinds of things. And so I think that she's one person who really helped to free me to write boldly within my cultural context. She Kim is also not only a Christian fiction author, but she also writes and um, leads, she does YouTube Bible studies and those kinds of things. Um, and she also has written in the Christian categories as well. And, her, and she has a book called Cling. Um, that's kind of her byline of her ministry, calling uh, Christians to cling to the Lord. And she just, yeah, so she models that and she walks through that a lot in her writings. So as far as people who um, are my favorites, she would be one of them. And I hate to name names because I'm going to leave out so many people. And y'all know I have like at least a couple dozen that I could rattle off real quick that are my favorites um, just because of the His Testimonies book. But I think uh, some other favorites would be um, Dr. Karen Ellis who runs the Edmondson Center, our sister, Christina Edmondson, um, Elizabeth Woodson. She actually teaches women uh, or trains women in Bibles, in teaching the Bible um, out in TVC, uh, the Village Church in mm -hmm. Dallas, I think it is. But Elizabeth Woodson is amazing. Um, Patricia Raybon, she is like the queen mother of <laughs> writing yeah. biblical material, devotionals and Bible studies and books and those kinds of things. I mean, she's beautiful inside and out. She's godly. She's wise. She's an excellent teacher. Um, Portia Collins. She's a new book out, right? She does have a new book out. It's coming out or it just came out. Mm -hmm. uh, Portia Collins, uh, a young lady uh, from Mississippi. She's doing a lot of stuff with Revive Our Hearts right now. She has Facebook Bible studies that she does. You guys know Trillia Newbell, beautiful sister in Christ, one of my besties and excellent Bible teacher. Ayana Mathis, uh, she's an IG influencer, I guess you would call it. <laughs> but she loves God's word and very excellent uh, Bible study teacher. She has YouTube Bible study material as well. Jackie Hill Perry, I could go on. I mean, there's tons of women and these are all uh women of color uh, primarily african-american women um who i would love for your listeners to to connect with um, but those are just a few and please don't be mad if you're my friend and you're a teacher and i love we'll you just, and i didn't mention your name <laughs> yeah we'll just say as a caveat this is not um Everyone. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not an exa exhaustive it's not, list. No, by no means. This is the very just like tip of the iceberg. We're just getting started. So. So, but it is. But we do want to provide for our listeners, both Black women and people maybe in majority culture that like to listen to our podcast. Yeah. A sampling of teachers to just expand um, your yeah. palette and range of things that you're consuming. For sure. And I think I, I, I only listed women of color, African-American women, because we don't really hear about them very often. And, very true. you know, so many people hear about the, the Jen Wilkins, the Beth Moores, the, you know, people like that, Felicia Masonheimers, you know, those, you know, those Bible teachers who are beautiful and excellent. I learn from them every day, but we don't often, you know, get to learn about other women who are not in the majority culture. Um, that we can learn from. So I very intentionally focused on women of color in that list. Yeah. But I can give you some more. So we could, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, <laughs> honestly. Which is good. I mean, I think it's good to like 
uplift the voices yeah. um, of our sisters who are out there, mm-hmm. you know, doing good work. And so what would you say to the woman of color who struggles to see herself in scripture or even some of the popular Bible studies? So that's kind of like nodding back to what you just said um, about some of the more popular studies that are out there that people know about. And and also what are some tips you would give mm-hmm. for women who struggle to um, read their Bibles or feel that like motivation or, or interest to dive into scripture? Ooh, okay. I got over 50 brains, so you may have to remind me if I listen to now. Okay. <laughs> so first, to the first part of your question, for the woman who struggles to see herself in the scriptures, I would just say open to page one. Okay. Here's the thing. The entire Bible features people of color, okay? Women of color are literally the only women in the Bible. So (laughs) you should see yourself on every page. There are no white people in the way that Americans often center themselves in the biblical narrative. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no white Americans in the Bible. (laughs) It's a Middle East, it's, it's a book set in like Middle Eastern culture, primarily African culture, you know, those that that part of the world. So um, every page of scripture is for you and about you. And, 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 and also the Bible is cross-cultural. So it's not just for, you know, women of color. It's not just for white women. The Bible is for all of God's people throughout time. And, um, and so it, it, it very much is cross-cultural. So I would say like when you think about biblical characters in their historical and cultural context, then see how Christ enters those contexts and often turns, up, turns upside down the norms in order to redeem the lives and stories of his people. And so if you struggle to see yourself in the pages of scripture, just open the book, um, meditate on the, the person and the work of Jesus and how he enters into those contexts. And oftentimes what he's doing is upturning, overturning, turning upside down norms that people um, generally adhere to um, so that he might show that the nations, that his, his concern and his love and his desire is for the nations to know him, to come to him, to be redeemed by him. And so, yeah, I just think sometimes when when women struggle to see themselves in the scriptures, it's because we have the narrative and maybe even the images of other cultures. And we think that those are the norm when in actuality it's not. So that's the first, my first answer to your question and see, I lost the second part. Well, I was just going to say to the point that you made that I like love so much, or even just the ways in which we teach the stories of women of the Bible. Right. So it's like, Oh, you feel like you're a leader or someone who has a high power job like Miriam or Deborah or, you know, even like Lydia. And I feel like the ways in which sometimes we kind of focus on, you know, the sort of majority culture kind of narrative in which we tell, it's like, this is the one way to be a woman Mm -hmm. that follows Christ or is a Christian. And I think when you open the word and maybe start with the beginning and you read through, there are so many different types of women with so many different types of stories and God is redeeming all of them. Christ is at work in all of them. And so, Mm -hmm. which is, I think why it's so important for you to read scripture for yourself and not just rely on kind of that sort of filtered. Which, and we're talking about, you know, 
<laughs> about writing and Bible study and those kinds of things. But honestly, I would say stay away from so many Bible studies <laughs> because, because that's information that you're importing, right? So mm-hmm. you're importing the lives and stories and um, of other people, and that shapes how you interpret and understand the scriptures. So think about Proverbs 31. And I would say, in, put in your mind, imagine what the Proverbs 31 woman looks like. Go ahead. All y'all out there listening, do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would dare say that a good bit <laughs> of the listening audience would picture some kind of June Cleaver style <laughs> woman with like, you know, the cute knee link dress and the apron and, you know, the bouffanted wow. hair. And she's, you know, Perfect. standing at the, in the kitchen with an apple pie, you know, waiting for, like, you're not seeing, you know, my grandma Inez <laughs> yeah. over the, over the stove on a Sunday morning, you know, cooking whatever barbecue chicken and mm-hmm. meatloaf and, mashed potatoes for the family after dinner. You know what I'm saying? So I think sometimes even how, when we think of people and images of people in the scriptures, we imagine, you know, we imagine a person that is outside the actual narrative of scripture. So what would Mm -hmm. this Proverbs 31 woman actually have looked like? We, you know, we know that the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, a lot of them um, were King Solomon. And we know that his mom was a big, influence in his life and and King Lemuel at the end in Proverbs 31, you know, his mom is giving King Lemuel these this advice about, you know, how to lead well and those kinds of things. And and so in it's in that kind of context that we need to view the Proverbs 31 woman. Like would she have been, you know, the mother of this king or even the wife of this coming king or whomever, and what kind of person would she have would she have looked like? Um, probably more Middle Eastern for sure. Uh, probably someone who had different kinds of means and access than maybe most mm-hmm. of us have today. And so, in a sense, it's not like we can just put our lives on top of that person. That's why I'm saying think about the historical and cultural context in which these characters are found. And then we need to see what problem or issue or um, concern or that's being brought up in the scriptures. And then how does Christ answer, fulfill, combat those things? And then we look at our context. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's just, we can't just put our lives on top of someone else's and try to draw parallels. We're always looking at interpreting scripture through the lens of who Christ is and what he has done um, in light of the things that we read. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, Um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, that was really good. One, I think one thing that was really helpful is for one of my last um, seminary classes, we did a reading on Proverbs 31. Mm -hmm. um, And we talked about our professor was like Fannie Lou Hamer as the Proverbs 31 women, woman. And then we like kind of went through the different things and it was just a really, um, so now and now it's like, when I think of that, um, Proverbs, I like have a totally different image than the one that I grew up with. But yeah, I think that's like a really good, important point to make. Cause the uh-huh. context, I think I remember yes. you talking about that, that like that professor, 
shifted the context yeah. of of like the point the point of view like the the traditional narrative you hear about Proverbs thirty one yeah of like yeah just being like um, and I think just even just the points of like what we tend to emphasize about Proverbs thirty one versus like we take that one section of Proverbs thirty one but we don't go back to um, Christy's point about um, King Lemuel as being instructed mm-hmm. by his mother mm-hmm. um, and like her wisdom and influence in his life and so um, when you take the whole chapter. Um, oftentimes what we have been taught culturally or popularly maybe doesn't necessarily fit with the lesson or the instruction that his mother is trying to give him at the time. So mm-hmm. um, I was yeah. sorry to interrupt the second, <laughs> the, no. second, the second part of Faith's question, which was something about tips for women who struggle to read their Bible or get into scripture. Oh, yeah. Um, so one of my um, dear sisters in the Lord, also another Bible teacher, uh, Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth. Uh, she uh, founded the Revive Our Hearts um, broadcast. And, <clears throat> excuse me, she has written some really excellent books on this topic of how do you get in God's word and how do you get God's word into you when sometimes you're not feeling it. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of the title. I'll think of it in a second. But in one of her books, she she basically goes through a lot of different ways of entering into the scriptures. I would say kind of like mixing it up a little bit. So not relying on one particular method or for not, format. But if something's not working for you and for whatever reason you're not connecting with the with the word, then try a different, you know, format. Um Try memorizing scripture. Try um, walking through the Bible chronologically. Um, try so. Uh, let me think of the book. I'm going to think of it in a second. But um, I would say maybe a book like that, or techniques like that, of finding different ways to enter into the scriptures. And I would say just you know what, if you're in the Word, even when you're not feeling like it, the Lord still meets you there and he gives you what you need. So sometimes just being in the word is a discipline and we want to practice that discipline even when sometimes, you know, just our hearts are a little bit cold. And I think if you have the desire to be in the word, even if you have, if you feel the deficit of not being in the word that, um, that is a sign of spiritual health. So some people think like, man, I just, you know, haven't been in my word that often. And what is that saying about me and my, you know, and my faith? And I would just say that just recognizing that there's that deficit and having that longing, even if you're not consistent in it, the fact that you have that longing is a sign Mm -hmm. of spiritual health. Like you want to kind of get back to that. And so, um, Yeah, I would say that. I would also say, let somebody know. Don't just flounder in a vacuum and alone so that no one knows that you're struggling, but let uh, another sister know and maybe find someone that you could walk slowly through the scriptures with. Um, Nancy's book is called A Place of Quiet Rest, Finding Intimacy with God Through a Daily Devotional Life. It is a very good book. And for people who feel like they're lost a little bit in that intimacy, she provides a lot of just great ideas for how to enter enter back into that devotional life. But I would definitely say do it in community. Um, find another sister that you can 
even just, hey, you know what? So, so I'll give some examples. So for years, some friends and I, we had a five o'clock club. It's not for everyone. I will admit it. But we, if there was a whole group of us, I would say maybe 10 or 12 of us that started. And by the end, there was two. <laughs> Me and my, my friend Pamela. But for years, we would wake each other up at five o'clock in the morning with just a Bible verse and a prayer. We would have just say one scripture and a prayer. And that would be kind of our jump start to get us up and going in the morning to have our devotional time. And we, yeah, I mean, by the time we were done for like probably the past two years, the last two years that we did it, it was just the two of us and it was totally fine, but it developed a habit and a discipline for getting up early and getting our day started in the word. Um, I have another sister, we Marco Polo and we, <laughs> Every we were doing it more regularly, maybe once or twice a week, checking in, and we were trying mm-hmm. to memorize Romans eight. And so we would just check in. We would Marco Polo the verses that we memorized, encourage one another, and that's it. So just be creative. There's so many resources out there. Plug in your Bible app while you're driving in the car and listen to the audio Bible. The word does not return vo- void. So if mm-hmm. you are finding ways to intake the Bible then the Mm -hmm. Lord will meet you and he will get that word into you in ways that maybe you don't even realize at the time. Um, And I'll just tell one other quick little story related to that. Some years ago in 2015, I remember my sister passed away and I was with her in the hospital, you know, during the last moments and, you know, just grieving, you know, as she was passing away. And in that moment, I just, I wanted to cry out to God in some way, but I, you know, it's just, everything just went blank, right? And the Lord just gave me a passage of scripture that honestly, y'all, I did not even know that I knew this passage until that very moment. And he just brought these words to my mind and I was able to pray them out loud over my sister in her last moments. And it was beautiful. And I was like, I mean, afterwards, it just floored me because I was like, I honestly don't know where that came from. (laughs) I didn't even know that I knew that. And it was certainly in the pages. I recognize it was it, it was scripture. But before then, if you had asked me to recite it or recall it or remember it, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. So just trust Mm -hmm. the process that the Lord works through his word. And if you're getting it, if you're intaking the Bible in any capacity, uh, the Lord will bless and honor his word and he will bless you by it. Maybe in ways that you don't realize at the moment. That's so good. And this is not sponsored, but I will also recommend the Dwell app has really been helpful to me as I'm like reading through scripture to sometimes listen to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And they have like music that can play in the background. It's really a very different voices. You can choose different voices. Yeah, I would. Yeah. And they have, um, you know. So I would highly recommend that. Okay, so our last question is, um, so far, you know, you edited His Testimonies, My Heritage, and then you have a new book coming out in March, which we will link um, so that people can pre-order in the show notes, called Literally? Literally? (laughs) Literally? This is the problem. (laughs) No, we have having a with having a book that well, no, we talked about this for a long time yes. when we were thinking of titles for the book. And I was like, you know, I really want to title this book literarily. And then the pub, my publishers were actually like, is anybody going to be able to pronounce that? I'm like, that's okay. We can teach them. It's okay. <laughs> but this is, we knew this is, 
You're a classic example. We knew that this yes. would happen. Sorry. So, I so literally. Literally. Literarily. <laughs> yes. literarily. Thank you. Literarily. Okay. Yes. Literarily. I love I, it's it. like in my that head, so I, it's like I read it and then I like transport it. I know. It. I know but, because we all say literally. Like it, you would think literally true. because we use that word way more frequently than we use a word like literarily. It's a mouthful. But I think. Many of us have grown in our Christian experiences to think that we're, or to at least wonder how much we should read the Bible literally. Like, should we read the Bible literally? Is it meant to be read literally? Well, in some places, yes. But the Bible isn't meant to be read literally in every place because we know, just like we were talking about Proverbs, Uh, that's wisdom literature and it's proverbial wisdom. It's not meant to be literal, but it's a lot of word pictures and a lot of metaphors and those kinds of things. Same thing with the Psalms. And then you also have, um, you know, the prophetic literature that's full of imagery and those kinds of things. And so not every passage book genre needs to be read literally, but Every passage that we read in the Bible should be read literarily. And by that, I mean according to its literary genre. Um, And so we, we have these books of the Bible that have been put together for us in a particular order as was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to be organized in this way. And I think, you know, the Lord is intentional in the way that he designs these things. So I think even in the way the Bible is laid out, according to these literary genres, it informs how we read the Bible and it helps us to see the, um, the meta narrative of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, the mm-hmm. redemptive arc of the Bible and what God is doing from beginning to end. So I'm starting with literarily. I'll work my way back. <laughs> and so writing literarily really is my, again, remember how we started in the beginning and I was saying things that I've learned and I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I wish other people knew. I never knew this. And it's so cool. And I would love for other people to know about it too. What's the most efficient way? Okay. I'll write a book about it. That might be efficient. We'll see. But when I understood that before I, okay, let's just, before when I would read the Bible, I would just pick up the Bible and I would read every passage kind of the same way. And mm-hmm. we've all, kind of, I would say many of us have become familiar with inductive Bible study methods. So you observe the text, what does it say? And then what does it mean? And then what does it mean to me? Or how do I apply it? And what I found was that depending on the genre, I that observation part seemed to be very different. And so I realized that there were uniquenesses to that observation interpretive interpretive part of the inductive Bible study method that wasn't quite serving me. And I needed to figure out how to, um, what those distinctives were in the, in the different genres um, and how that would help me in my inductive Bible study process. And so um, that's how literarily came about was just knowing the genre helps me to see part of the redemptive arc. They help me to see the unique features of the different genres. Like what are the features of the Psalms? I know that's Hebrew poetry. 
And I know that it's not like the poetry that we have because there's not a lot of rhyme schemes and things like that. It's parallel lines and the parallel lines are key to understanding biblical poetry and, um, and so on. So I, you know, I can't talk about all the different genres and their <laughs> unique features, but just knowing an epistle, oftentimes the writer is making an argument, a logical argument, and the text flows according to that argument that he's making. So now I need to know, like, what is the argument and how does he unfold it? And what are the words and things that I can pick up within the text that will help me to do that, okay? So those are just some examples uh, that help me to see, wow, genre really matters. So um, going back to his testimonies, when I wrote that, I really kind of, I dived in deep to Hebrew poetry and its features and what it was like and how parallel structure worked in the Psalms. And uh, I was just reading through Psalm 119 for myself devotionally. And honestly, this conversation is bringing this entire, <laughs> our entire conversation full circle because Oftentimes when I have read Psalm 119, it has been in those dry spells, in those seasons where I just didn't feel like spiritually I was thriving. I just felt a little cold. And so the reason why I go a lot to Psalm 119 in my personal devotion is because it's all about the word of God. Just about every verse in Psalm 119 makes some direct reference to the word of God, every single verse. I mean, there's probably a handful out of 176 verses, the longest chapter in the Bible, there's 176 verses and only a handful maybe don't make a, a direct reference to the word of God. And so what's beautiful about it for me is if I'm in a dry season and I'm meditating through Psalm 119, because it's so centrally focused on the word of God, it just draws me. It draws me to the Lord. It draws me to his word. It teaches me to delight in his word and to just soak it in and to order my life after his word. And so that's how I started studying Psalm 119 for myself. And then I started reading it with a couple of young ladies uh, from my church. And at that time when I wrote, when I was going through it devotionally for myself, it was also a season where people were asking me this question, Christy, who are some women of color that we can learn from? Who are your favorite Bible teachers and who do you learn from? And so I started making a list because people kept asking a question. I was like, oh, I probably need to write this down. So next time someone asks, I can say, here's a list. And as I started writing, I had a list of like 20 some women that I admire. I love their giftings as teachers. I learn from them all the time. Now, mind you, I'm reading Psalm 119 devotionally and it was just like the Lord put the things together. Like, why don't you pull together these women and have them all help us to learn your how you are working in their lives through this particular chapter in the Bible. So that's how his testimonies, my heritage came about is just my own devotions through Psalm 119 and a desire to see other women learn from women of other people learn from women of color and for women to be able to see themselves in the pages of scripture because all of these women are women of color just about all of them write uniquely from a their cultural background or perspective or include some element of it in their devotion and so um it's just been really beautiful to see the body of christ 
learning and growing from these the experiences of these women as they unpack Psalm 119. So the goal is not wasn't really to merely kind of showcase culture in as much as it was to showcase the work of Christ through the cultural experiences and backgrounds of these ladies. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I answered any of y'all's questions, you did. but you did. <laughs> yes. And I like person. I really love um, his testimony is my heritage because, like she said, Thank I mean, you. and I think also too, I was just reading it in a season of, yeah, there are t- t- stories about what is it to raise, um, you know, black sons with hope, and they're, um, I think, you know, bringing in um, just yeah, I it really does help see Psalm one nineteen in a different way, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um, I think you for following God's prompting and being um, faithful in that. And I thank you for joining us um, on the podcast today. We're going to link both those books in the show notes um, and Christy's website so you guys can follow her writing. And yeah, thank you so much for being with us today. And now Faith, I feel like that is like our tradition is Faith introduces (laughs) the next segment of the podcast. Thank you so much, ladies. Yes. Um, Well, it's time for our favorite segment and yours, all of our listeners. Go off, sis. So um, this is a segment where we talk about something that we are loving right now, our bless, um, and also something that is a mess. So Catherine's <laughs> going to go first, um, and Christy, you're going to go second. Okay. So Catherine, she'll go first. She'll kind of get an idea of, of what we're going to do. Okay. Um, but this is just fun. Okay. So this can be serious. It can be funny. We just like to have a good time. So go ahead, Catherine. Yes. Okay. So I always like to start with my mess. So my mess is um, I, for a fellowship I got, just came back from Cody, Wyoming. Let me just say this for Cody. I understand why Kanye has multiple ranches there. It is a very beautiful part of the country. Um, Yellowstone and Grand Tetons and that kind of thing. But that's not what my mess is. My mess is we went to one of the Japanese internment camps, Heart Mountain. Um, And it was fascinating because we as a country don't know so much of that history. I did not learn about Japanese internment in school when we talk about World War II. I feel like we talk a lot about... Nazi, rightfully so, Nazism and the Holocaust, but America has our own history of how we responded um, to World War II. And yeah, I just, I think it's a mess we don't learn about the Japanese internment camps in this country. Um, And one thing that I learned that I thought was really cool is the sort of valley that that internment camp is built in. they didn't really know how to farm that land until the Japanese came and showed them the techniques while they were um, had to live there um, for, I think, about three years during World War II. So, yeah, we have a lot should, you know, a lot to be grateful for um, to those farmers. But then I think also to just there are lessons to be learned in how we reacted. And so my mess is that we don't learn about that. OK, my bless is very um, silly and lighthearted. College football season. I I love college football. Um, We have had a lot of really good games this year. Um, A&M beat Alabama, which 
has happened like twice since AM has been in the SEC. So I feel like anytime it happens, I have to celebrate. Um, and because my little sister went to OU, I feel like I quasi have to root for them as well. And OU won a big game against Texas. That is like the game for both schools on their calendar. So um, my bless is to college football and um, college football athletes. And I feel better about college football now because athletes are able to um, also reap the financial benefits of all of the money they bring into colleges. So yes, college football season, loving it. Okay, this is so hard because there's so many. But now you you're making me want to change because you talked about sports. So I really want to talk about my son and soccer, but I, I, maybe I'll save that for another time. All right. Yeah, no, we want to hear. Yeah, it can be anything. We Whatever. bless our friends and family all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm going to have to. So first of all, it's soccer season. <laughs> and my son is 14. He loves soccer. It's I just love watching him play, you know, like I never thought myself to be a soccer mom. I'm totally her. Like I want a t-shirt. Um, you know, I told my son, y'all, you know, have y'all seen Black Panther? I know you have. But in Black Panther, when, you know, when they're, when um, they're having kind of like the battle scene and Queen Ramonda is, you know, watching her son and she's like, show them who you are. That's the yeah, t-shirt I want. Yeah. I want. If anybody knows where I can get a t-shirt that says, show them who you are with a big soccer ball on it. That's what I want. I'm looking for that. But anyway, so I'm all, every time my son goes to play, that's one of the things I tell him. I tell him to have fun. I tell him to play hard. And I'm like, show them who you are. So that's my bless. I love soccer season. Second bless, real quick. I had my first pumpkin spice latte, y'all, like on Sunday. And I liked it. And it kept me alert on the road. And I was blessed by it. <laughs> that's all I want to say about that. Yeah. And then mess. The only mess I can think of right now, I live in Washington, D.C., but right now I'm in North Carolina um, helping my mom with some stuff at her house. And so my mess is my mom's office because we're converting it from an office to a guest room. And it's a whole ginormous mess. But hopefully by the time I leave, it'll be a bless. I love it. We love it. We love a story of transformation. We yes, love that's, that's yes. exactly what's happening over here. Transforming that office into a guest room. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, for my co-offices, we're going to keep it real simple, but I'm going to start with my mess. My mess is with all the supply chain issues um, that are happening. I really would love for us to not get into another 2020 toilet paper gate again. So I'm prayerfully hoping that, you know, the tissue supply stays alive and that we are not on a shortage. That was one thing I did not want to see go short again. So that is my mess. The bless that I have right now is I am watching a new show. Y'all know I'm always watching something. I'm watching Made and it's so good. It's so moving. As a social worker, there's just so many things that I see in the episodes that are powerful and very true of the social services um, system. And I also think about how the portrayal of MAID, um, a lot of people are responding so positively to it, like, wow, it's so good. Da, da, da. And I'm also hyper aware of the fact, had the main character been a person of color, 
the perception would be totally different. So anyways, I just think that it's a really good show. And if you haven't watched it, you should try it out. Um, it's very moving and really telling of our, um, the system that exists in our community. So um, especially for those who um, do need to use government assistance, it's very complex and it's not nearly as easy as people think it is to get the help that you need um, when you're in a pinch and you just really need some assistance. I could go on and on about that. I'm going to stop it there, Um, but definitely go check out the show. So um, we just want to thank y'all so much for joining us for this episode. We hope that it was helpful um, for those of you who um, haven't heard of Christy before and her work. And we hope that you um, are ending off this episode encouraged. We have a new patron, Allison. Thank you so much, Allison, for supporting our work. Join Allison and all of our other patrons because in the end of this month, I'm so excited. October 24th, our one of our favorite shows, but we really love the show Insecure around here. It returns October 24th. And so we will be doing special recap episodes from Insecure, and that will only be over on Patreon for our patrons. So definitely join and support our work and give us a review on Apple and tell your friends about it and follow us on Melanated Faith on Instagram. And we are at Melanated F on Twitter. So we will definitely see you all next time. And thanks so much for joining us.